You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. My name is Roger Otero. If we haven't met, I'm the associate pastor here. I would love to meet you. Um, And I'm excited today. We are wrapping up. This is the final message in our Entrusted series Um, where we've been taking a look at just a number of different things that the Lord has entrusted to us um, as stewards. We've looked at that God entrusts us with time. He entrusts us with finances. He entrusts us with relationships and creativity. He entrusts us with our own souls. And today, guys, we get to talk about that God has entrusted us with creation. So excited, excited to talk about that. Um, Wanted wanted to start off with a little bit of of story um, by way of setting us up for something here. some of the most amazing places that I've ever gotten to visit in my entire life um, are the Mesoamerican ruins of some of the, the Incan and Mayan cultures down in South and Central America. Um, absolutely breathtaking. Um, probably the most amazing being Machu Picchu. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Machu Picchu. You've probably seen this photo before or something like it. Um, this is Mayan or, uh, Incan ruins high in the rainforest of Peru up in the Andes. Um, and, and, and I've also been to Chichen Itza and Uxmal in the Mayan Peninsula. But one of the interesting things about these places, right, and being here from America, I've never, had never visited anything this old ever in my life. But a central feature in each of these cities was their temples. Um, Machu Picchu has several temples, including the Temple of the Condor, the Temple of the Sun, the Temple of the Moon. There's a picture of the Temple of the Moon here that's it's kind of built into the, the rock face and stuff like this. Um, in Chichen Itza, the, the most iconic temple, which if you've ever seen pictures of Chichen Itza, this is the Temple of Kukulkan. It's like the feathered serpent deity. Um, uh, absolutely breathtaking structures to go visit. But if I'm really honest with you, I think when I went, the, the significance of the temples was kind of lost on me. As, as I walked around all these different ruins, they, they all just were sort of old buildings to me, right? They were all just sort of old, really impressive structures that have really like withstood the test of time. Um, but, but I don't think, I, I had no real practical or experiential understanding of a temple in, in any culture, in any time period, from any religion. These, these are still, to this day, these are the only temples that I've actually ever been in myself and visited myself. Um, I, I had theoretical knowledge about temples, but no true experiential understanding of temples. You understand the difference, right? I, I had no experiential understanding. And, and asking me to, to talk meaningfully or authentically about temple would, would be like asking me to, to talk with any sort of authority about like a football stadium, right? Like, go Chiefs. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, I only, I'll be honest with you. I only know that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last Sunday because they told me in staff meeting. <laughs> and then if I'm really honest, I forgot that, so I had to Google it. And, and uh but that's about, that's about as authentically as I could talk about a football stadium is what I could say about temples. But here's my point. I, I, I don't think that this disconnect with the idea of a temple is, is just me. Um, our culture in the West, at least as, as a whole, I think we largely, we don't really have an experiential understanding of temples. For most of us, that, that's just something like that is not a part of our everyday experience, right? Um, the closest maybe we get is what we have here at church, right? But we often don't necessarily think of them the same way. 
Uh, but, but this is an important gap to fill, even if it's just a linguistic one when we use, if we use the word temple or we use the word church. It's important to fill as best we can because temple language and temple imagery is all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. Um, and so I wanna ask this question today. What is the purpose of a temple? All right, we're gonna get thinking about this a little bit and then we're gonna read a bunch of Bible. Um, here, here is my simple definition of a temple. And this is trying to make it as broad as possible. A temple is a place where heaven can touch earth and where earth can reach back, right? It's any place where, where heaven can touch earth and where earth can reach back. It's, it's a place where the divine can come in contact with humanity and where humanity can respond to the divine in some sort of way. It's, it's where the creator can enter into physical creation and where creation can welcome the creator, and so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to quickly trace a line throughout the various temples that are mentioned in the scriptures. And we're going to read a lot of Bible, um, but I'm going to kind of let the Bible do a lot of the explaining rather than just me explaining it to you. Um, and I think it's worthwhile because what I, hope to sh- hope w- what I hope we see by the end is that God has entrusted us with the care of his creation because his entire creation is his temple. So before we read some Bible, will you guys pray with me? Yeah, we're gonna just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Father, we, we, we thank you for this gathering this morning. We thank you for these people that have come to worship in person and online. And we just welcome you into our presence right now. Holy Spirit, you have already been welcomed into this room and into our hearts, and we just ask for more. Even as we open your scriptures, we ask for more. God, that you would give us insight and understanding that you would change our minds where they need to be changed, that you would enlighten our minds where they need to be enlightened. We want to hear your voice, God, in the deep places of our heart tonight. So whatever it is that we individually need to hear, Holy Spirit, we trust you to speak. And I do, I ask you to speak. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your voice would speak much louder than my own today. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off in the book of Genesis. And this is Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. Again, we're going to read a lot of Bible, but even these lots of Bible we're going to read are really just kind of uh, chunks that give us a good picture of some stuff. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. And skipping down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Remember that phrase too, right? To work and take care of it. So here we get, in chapter two of the Bible, we get the very first temple, which is the garden. Now, 
There, there is no explicit mention of temple in this passage, right? There's no explicit mention of temple actually in chapters one or chapters two of Genesis, admittedly, but just wait for it, right? Wait for it. The important thing here is that God's presence is with humanity in the garden. If you read especially the rest of chapter two, right, there's this closeness, this intimacy, this like physical presence of God with people, and this is where it happened. And which for now, at least, fits my definition of a temple, which is a place where heaven can touch earth and where earth can reach back. That's what was happening in the beginning. God is is the creator of this meeting place, is the image that we get. And then humans are tasked with being the caretakers of that meeting place. And those meetings would continue to happen, and the humans would take care of it, and meetings would happen, and humans would take care of it. The, The physical creation here was entrusted to humans to cultivate it, to nurture it, and to nurture it precisely because it was this precious meeting place. They were to tend it and keep it, as the King James Version says. They were, they were tending it and keeping it like gardeners. And it was a special meeting place of God with people. And I would say this, I think, I think creation is still a favorite meeting place of God with people. I loved it that Elliot, just a few minutes ago, you all just had the invitation extended to you to go hang out in the garden, to sit and use it as a space for meditation and prayer. It's just there. I've done it. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful place to just go and sit and be amongst God's creation. Now, interestingly, this is kind of fascinating, the the words for work and take care of, or, or in some translations, cultivate and keep the garden, right? Those same words for work and take care of are later used of the priest's roles that they're said to serve and guard the temple in Jerusalem. In Hebrew, they're the exact same words. So you tend and cultivate a garden or you serve and guard the temple in Jerusalem, which brings us to the literal temple. We're gonna read a little bit in 1 Kings chapter seven. Um, Again, this is just one chunk, one description of one part of the temple that ended up being built by Solomon in Jerusalem. Uh, King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Huram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali and whose father was from Tyre and a skilled craftsman in bronze. Huram was filled with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge to do all kinds of bronze work. This is a lot like Bezalel that Reese referred to last week when we were talking about God is entrusted with creativity, right? Here's another guy. And so this guy Huram, he came to King Solomon, did all the work assigned to him. He cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits, that's 27 feet high, and 12 cubits, or 18 feet in circumference. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits or about seven feet high. A network of interwoven chains adorned the capitals on top of the pillars, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capitals on top of the pillars in the portico were in the shape of lilies, four cubits, that's six feet high. These are six foot high lilies that this guy built out of like bronze. On the capitals of both pillars, above the bowl-shaped part next to the network were the 200 pomegranates in rows all around. He erected the pillars at the portico of the temple, the pillar to the south he named Jachin, and the one to the north, Boaz. The capitals on top were in the shape of lilies again, 
And so the work on the pillars was completed. Then he goes on to this other bit that's fun. He made a sea of cast metal, circular in shape, measuring 10 cubits, that's 15 feet across from rim to rim, and seven cubit, or seven feet high. And it took a line of 30 cubits, that's 45 feet in circumference to measure around it. And below the rim, gourds encircled it, 10 to a cubit. The gourds were cast in two rows in one piece with the sea, and the sea stood on 12 bulls, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. And the sea rested on top of them, and their hindquarters were towards the center because you wouldn't want to build it the other way around. It was a hand, this guy was wise. He was gifted, as they say. It was a hand breadth in thickness, and its rim was like the rim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It held 2,000 baths. I don't know, I don't know how many baths like that really is, but that's a lot of water. Here's the thing. Note, and this is just, this is just the, 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 the pillars. This is just the sea bowl that was created. Note the intentional and elaborate decor. There's, there's hundreds of pomegranates and bronze everywhere. There's lilies. Some of them are six feet high. They're taller than me. That's not me. That's not saying a lot. Stop chuckling, Mary Margaret. Dang. Can't take you anywhere. Um, there were gourds, right? Gourds, just rows and rows and rows of gourds, um, these giant bowls. And again, this is only, this is only the one small section of Scripture. Other, other parts of Scripture describe the temple wall as being, walls being completely covered in flowers and giant palm trees that are cast in gold and bronze lining the sides of it. Temple two is echoing temple number one. You guys see that? These, these horticultural and, and images from the animal world are meant to recall the Garden of Eden, this archetypal temple, the original meeting place of God and humanity. For, for the worshiper coming in, the temple was meant to be an artistic rendering of God's original meeting place with people. And it was meant to be so beautiful and so immense and so just overwhelmingly awe-inspiring that just being in the room would be a transcendent experience like walking back into the glory of the garden. Now for the final two temples today, we're gonna jump up into the New Testament. This is when it gets squirrely. You guys ready? John 2, John 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. No, this is the very first mention of temple in the gospel of John, right? This is fun. And the temple courts... He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those he sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. This is the second mention of a temple, but it's a different one. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus said. 
had spoken. What's fascinating, what is fascinating in this powerful scene, in this very first mention of temple in John's gospel, is what we have is the meeting of two temples. You have this interaction of two temples, the historically important temple number two that we just talked about, and now this surprising temple number three. The incarnate temple of God is coming in and meeting with the constructed temple of God. And of course, as John explains, right, by this temple, Jesus means his body, his physical person. And and I think at this point, if, if we just put ourselves in the shoes of all of those that were present at the moment, we, just, we have to call this statement what it is. It's crazy talk. <laughs> just, I mean, what a weird thing to say. And it's true. Up to this point, up to this point, no such language had been used to talk of a person's body being a temple of some sort. In any recorded religion that I'm aware of, certainly not in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. A a temple was always somewhere else, out there. It was a place that you would go to, you would travel, you would enter into it, and you would say, I'm in the temple, and now here is a man saying, I am a temple. And And it's like, it's no wonder that nobody quite understood him at the moment. It's no wonder that thought that some people thought that the best course of action would be to kill him. It's also no wonder that it wasn't until after his resurrection that it even clicked in the disciples' minds, right? John says, after he'd risen from the dead, they went, oh, he meant his body. (laughs) It didn't even make sense to his own disciples. It was crazy talk. But here's the thing, he was telling the truth. He was telling the surprising truth. And what's more, he was cracking the door open for an entirely new reality for everyone, including you and me. Now in this scene, I'll just mention this a moment before we go on and we'll circle back to this in a little bit. Um, If we're thinking about this in terms of temples, what's happening in this scene is that the incarnate temple, Jesus, is defending the constructed temple, right? It's like the big brother coming and picking on the little brother who's, you know, getting bullied or something, right? He's defending the brother who's getting picked on. And what I'd say is the main issue, perhaps, was not merely the exchange of money, right? Poor people coming in that didn't have doves and they didn't have cattle and they didn't have sheep or they didn't have whatever it was that they were going to bring for their sacrifice. They needed to get it from somebody. Now, perhaps some greed was a bit of the thing that bothered Jesus, but, but the bigger issue to him was the misuse of the temple grounds for personal gain. And as he says in other accounts of the story, like in Matthew, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. He's saying, you're taking this from being a meeting place between God and people and making it a, it a place where you can just have some financial gain at others' expense. The misuse of temple grounds. We'll come, we'll come back to this idea of the misuse of temple grounds towards the end. Because the misuse of temple, it's, a, it's kind of a regular problem throughout the Old Testament. All that's important, but this, I think, is the bigger point of this passage, is what Jesus is making clear in this moment is that Christ is the great intersection of heaven and earth. 
right? He is temple number three. Creation was the original place where God intended to be present with people. Then we have the temple in Jerusalem where he would be present with people. Christ is saying, now it is me. Christ is the great intersection of heaven and earth in his physical body, the incarnate temple. Christ is the ultimate place where heaven can touch earth and where earth can reach back. Christ is the ultimate place where the divine can come in contact with humanity and where humanity can respond to the divine. Christ is the ultimate place where the creator can enter into the creation and where creation can welcome the creator. And let me just say, if you have not had that encounter with the creator, come to Jesus. Do it today. We'll have some opportunity towards the end for for prayer ministry and stuff like that. And if you have never said yes to that invitation, then maybe today's your opportunity. Don't miss out. This is the whole point. This is the point of all of this from the beginning of the garden until today is for you and me to have that kind of interaction with God. Now, our fourth temple this morning, um, it's another physical human body. Again, this gets kind of crazy. Jesus kind of cracked the door open. Um, now, what's happening here, Paul, we're gonna read a little bit of Paul from 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing a letter to a local church um, that's experiencing like all sorts of problems, right? They were, they were a bit of a hot mess, and here he's addressing just one of those issues they were having. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 15. He says that, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That in and of itself is an interesting thing to unpack, but we're gonna keep moving. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why is this important? Because do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Temple number one is the garden. Temple number two is in Jerusalem. Temple number three is Jesus of Nazareth. And temple number four is your body. Nobody saw this coming, right? But this is what Paul is understanding, that what Jesus introduced, what happened when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost the fourth temple that we see in the scripture is you and me in our physical person. Now, we use a lot of metaphorical language to talk about um, the work that God does in our lives. We a lot of metaphorical language to help us understand like what is salvation, right? All of these kinds of things. Um, and one of, the most, one of the most common phrases is, is we'll say something along the lines of like Jesus coming to live in your heart, right? Right? And so like I prayed when I was, 11 years old, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. We have this kind of language. Um, now, I'm not prepared to say such an idea is wrong. I will go, I will put all my chips in to say that I think it's incomplete. 
Because at least according to Paul in this passage, as well as a few others in the New Testament, Jesus may come to live in your heart, but the Holy Spirit comes to live in your body. Your physical self. And God is one and you are one. You are not just a, uh, he's not just interested in your soul. He's interested in your entire person and he desires to take up residence in your entire being and not even just in your heart. He wants to come and take up residence in your mind and in your body. And just as the first humans were entrusted with the task of cultivating and keeping the garden, so we are entrusted with the task of cultivating and keeping our bodies. And just as the priests were entrusted with the task of serving and guarding the temple in Jerusalem, so were you and I entrusted with the task of serving and guarding our bodies. You guys see this big picture? We're getting real practical in a second here, but do you see this big picture? God has entrusted us with the care of his entire creation, which includes our bodies. I think this is the genius of Paul to understand. Well, this is part of the physical creation as well. Creation is not just the plants and the animals and the birds and the water and everything else. It's we are part of that creation. God has entrusted us with the care of his entire creation because his entire creation is his temple. And if we treat God's creation carelessly, what does that say about what we think about his temple? If, if we treat our bodies carelessly, how does that impact our relationship with him? It has to somehow, whether we're aware of it or not. So I want us to think for a closing few minutes here of how, what, what might caring for God's creation look like? And I'm not gonna give you a whole ton of specifics. I think you guys are smart enough to figure this out on your own. But a couple questions to ponder. How might you take better care of creation? We have this unending responsibility to care with all of the earth. And there's a many, again, there's, many, there's as many answers to how we do that as there are people in this room and so, like, where is a small place you can begin? Where's a small place that you can begin? Um, so I think this was either back in, this is just by, by way of example. Um, it was either back in, we couldn't remember if it was my birthday back in May or Father's Day of this last year. Um, so most mornings of the week, I walk Garrett to school. And we take the dog and, and walk him to school. And me and the dog walk back. Um, and just started noticing just like how much trash there was on the side of the road as we're walking, like all the time. Like, I don't know what people are doing out on Hereford Farm and Gibbs Roads, but they're just like, don't need that bottle anymore, you know? This week I pulled up like 30 feet of like caution tape, like police caution tape or something. I was like, I don't want to know what happened. I do want to know why they didn't clean it up. But so back in, uh, back in, um, Again, either Father's Day or, or my birthday. I was like, Ange, you know what I want for my birthday? I want one of those claws. <laughs> and my family is now thoroughly embarrassed by me. They're like, they're like you're that old man. <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm that old man with his dog walking down the road with a Walmart bag. You know? 
Even yesterday, yesterday morning, I was at home for a couple hours and I was sitting here working on this sermon and I got to this point and I was like, hmm. And I just, I just closed my laptop and I stopped and I went and grabbed the dog and I grabbed my claw and we went out and we picked up trash. I was like, I could sit here and write or I could just go freaking do it. And that's how I got to like 30 feet of caution tape. Um, but don't forget, guys, Giving Farm Workday on March 19th. I don't care if you're not a gardener. Come and just like get your hands dirty. There is something about, and do this with this in mind, right? This is like a built-in opportunity. We're, we're, this is the easy button. It's after church. Go out to eat with some friends and family and then, and then come back and just do a little bit of work. They're, they're great at coming up with tasks for every skill level, um, and age, and physical ability, and, and whatever. Um, I loved it that Elliot said, like, the work that's happening over there, and the subsequent food that makes it then into the food pantry where we are feeding people's bodies, right? Man, we're feeding other temples, guys. It just, it gets bigger and bigger and more exciting. I love it that he said, it's not the result of one individual, but it's because of a family. Oh, man, that was beautiful. I said, that'll preach. And so I am. Come be a part of that family. It's what you were created to do. It's what you have been redeemed to do. It's why the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence in your body to do simple things like that. And then as a closing question, how might you take better care of your body? Right, again, in the same way, you can think of a whole lot of other opportunities and ideas for caring for creation. How might you take better care of your body? Maybe it has to do with diet. What you put, what you put in there kind of matters. It's either going to nourish it or it's going to hurt it. Maybe it has to do with exercise. This is a tough one for me. I'd much rather eat kale than go to the gym. Maybe, maybe it has to do with an addiction. Breaking the power of an addiction over your body. Or as Paul brings up in this passage, maybe it has to do with your sexuality. How are you using your body? And it's easy to go, oh, psh, but I'm not being one with a prostitute. Well, you can split hair with, hairs with that if you want to, but you know what he means. Maybe it has to do with your mental health. Mental, it has very clear physiological factors. It's part of our body. The chemicals, the hormones, all of those things take care of that. Maybe it has to do with your rest. Some of you guys are go-getters. I know you. I know you. You're go-getters and you never stop. But you know what? One day your body's really going to resent that. Right? Right? One day your body will force you to take a Sabbath if you don't do it yourself. Our bodies need rest. They need deep sleep. They need to sometimes just be slow. Being busy is not a fruit of the Spirit. God didn't call us to be productive. He called us to be obedient. Or maybe something else. All right, just imagine for a short second here that Jesus walks up to you 
as the temple. And he just says, there's some misuse of temple grounds that we've got to deal with. What's, what's the thing that he highlights to you? What's the thing he points out to you? What is, what is the table that he needs to turn over in your body or in your relationship to the earth? Who are the money changers that he needs to drive out of your life? Why don't you guys stand with me? Worship team, you guys can come on back up. Pray with me for just a second here. If it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths and just notice that you have a body. And you can feel the air coming into your lungs. You can feel the air going back out. All of this is a gift of God. And and in the scriptures, the spirit is described as breath like this. That's the same way that the spirit of God fills you all the time. So spirit of God, fill us up right now even more. We have welcomed you into this place in worship and we are going to welcome you more, but we also welcome you and invite you into our bodies in this time. I just encourage you guys as we worship, whatever tables it was that comes to your mind that Jesus might want to overturn, just bring those to him. There's no judgment. There's, we're, not, we're not casting blame on anything or anyone. This isn't a time for you to try to fix it in any way. Cleansing the temple is Jesus's business. It's not yours. I encourage you to yield to him. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence. Continue to work in our midst as we worship you.